Chapter Thirty Five of Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter Thirty Five The Pope's Treasure. Now, said Marjorie at last disengaging herself from me let us get down to business we've got to find the treasure you know so we set ourselves down to a systematic search we explored one after another all the caves leading out of the main cavern some of them were narrow and tortuous some were wide and low with roof dropping down down until it was impossible for anything in the shape of humanity to pass all of these, however, with one exception, ended in those fissure-like clefts, running somewhere to a point which characterized cavern formations. The exception was at the northwest side of the cavern, where a high, fairly wide passage extended, with an even floor, as though it too had been leveled by rolling pebbles. It kept on straight for a good length, and then curved round gently to the right, all the while fairly maintaining its proportions. Presently it grew so high that it was like a narrow way between tall houses. I lit a white light, and in the searching glare noticed that far overhead the rocky walls leaned together till they touched. This spot just above us was evidently the highest point. The roof thence fell rapidly till at last it was only some ten feet high. A little further on it came to a sudden end here there was a great piled-up mass of huge sharp-edged rocks at the base of which were stones of all sizes some round and some jagged scattered near and isolated were many stones rounded by constant friction as i looked the whole circumstances seemed to come to me see i cried to marjorie this was evidently another entrance to the cave the tides ebbing or flowing drove in through one way and out at the other and the floor was worn level in process of countless years by rolling pebbles like these then came some upheaval or wearing away by water drift of supporting walls of rock and this mouth of the cave fell in we must be by now somewhere at the cruden side of winifold we are facing almost due north as there was manifestly nothing to be done here we took our way back to the main cavern when we began to look around us for a new place to explore marjorie said there doesn't seem to be any treasure cave at all here we have now tried everywhere then it was that my mind went back again to the dawn's description black on the one hand and red on the other come i said let us go back till we find the joining of the gneiss and granite as we went back the floor was almost dry only a few pools of water here and there, lying in the depressions, called attention to the fact that we were under tidal influence. As we went, we kept a careful lookout for the fusion of the rocks, and found it where the passage with the descending roof debouched into that which led from the blocked-up entrance of the cave. There was here, however, no sign of another passage, and the main one outside was like that under my own house, entirely through the gneiss. I could not help feeling a little disappointed. For many weeks my mind had been set on finding the Pope's treasure, and though I believe it was not greed which controlled me, even to any great extent, I was deeply chagrined. 
I had a sort of unworthy fear that it might lower me in the eyes of Marjorie. This feeling, however, was only momentary, and when it went, it went for good. Drawing in my notebook a rough outline of Winifold, I dotted lines where I took the various branches of the cave to lie, and then marked in the line of fusion of the gneiss and the granite as it was manifest on the cliffs and on the shore beyond. Marjorie was at once convinced. Indeed, when I saw my surmise put down in black and white, it seemed to me quite apparent that it must be correct. The treasure cave must be within that space which lay between the dismantled entrance on the side of the scares and that which had fallen in on the north side. The logical inference was that if there was an entrance to be found at all, it would be close to the debris from the dawn's explosion. So we took in silence our way back to that point and began at once to examine the debris for any sign of an opening in the rock to the north side. Marjorie scrambled up to the top of the pile whilst I explored the base. Turning my lantern on the rocky wall, I began to examine it foot by foot and inch by inch. Suddenly Marjorie cried out. I raised my head and looked at her. Her face, lit by the rays of my own lamp, which, with the habit of searching now familiar to me, I had turned as my eyes turned, was radiant with joy and excitement. Look, look, she cried. Oh, Archie, there is the top of an opening here. The stones fill it up. As she spoke, she pushed at a stone on the top of the pile. Under her hand it moved and disappeared with a hollow rattle. By this time I had scrambled up the slippery pile and was beside her. The disappearance of the stone had enlarged the opening, and something like a foot square was discovered. So we began to work at the heap of stones, only we pulled and threw them into the cave where we were so as not to block the place we aimed at. The top layer of stones was easy to move, as they were comparatively small and were not interlocked, but below them we found a much more difficult task. Here the rocks were larger and more irregular in shape, and their points and edges interlocked. We did not mind, however, but toiled on. I could not but notice as we did so a trait of Marjorie's coolness of head in the midst of all her excitement when she took from her pocket a pair of heavy gloves and put them on. In some fifteen or twenty minutes we had unmasked a hole sufficiently large to pass through comfortably. I found that the oil of my lamp was running low, so I refilled it and Marjorie's also. Then, holding my own lamp carefully, whilst Marjorie turned hers in the direction I was going, I passed over the top of the miniature moraine and in a few seconds was on the floor of the other cave. Marjorie threw me the ball of string and, scrambling down, joined me at once. We went along carefully, for the roof of the cave dipped very low, and we had in more than one place to bend considerably. Even then we were walking in a couple of feet of water as the floor dipped as well as the roof. When we had gone some distance, however, the roof rose as the cave turned sharp to the left, round a corner of very broken and jagged rock in which I could see signs of the fusion of the two geological formations. Our hearts beat high, and we took hands instinctively. We were now confident that we were in the treasure house at last. As we went up the cave, here running, so far as I could ascertain by the compass, straight in and from the sea, we could note, as we turned our lamps now and again to either side, that on our left was all black rock whilst on the right was all red. The cave was not a long one, nothing to compare with those we had left, 
it was not very many seconds though we had to go slow as we did not know for certain as to the floor level before the cave began to expand when however it widened and became more lofty the floor rose in all some three feet and we went up a sharp incline though not of very great magnitude this dipped a little again forming a pool which spread ahead of us so far as we could see by the dim light of our bicycle lamps as we did not know the depth i waded in marjorie enjoining me anxiously to be careful i found it deepened very slowly so she joined me and we went on together by my advice marjorie kept a few feet in the rear so that in case i should stumble or meet with a deep hole and so lose my light hers would still be safe i was so intent on my feet for i feared lest marjorie following so close might get into some trouble that i hardly looked ahead but kept cautiously on my way marjorie who was flashing her lamp all around as she went suddenly called out look look there to the right the figure of the san cristobal with the golden christ on his shoulder i turned my lantern to the angles of the cave to the right to which we were now close the two lamps gave us light enough to see well there rising from the water under the shelf of rock was the figure that benvenuto had wrought as don bernardino had left it three centuries ago as i moved forwards i stumbled in trying to save myself the lamp was shaken from my hand and fell hissing in the dark water as it fell i saw by the flash of light the white bones of a skeleton under the san cristobal instinctively i called out to marjorie stand still and take care of your lamp i've dropped mine all right came back her answer coolly she had quite command of herself she turned the lamp downwards so that we could see into the water and i found i had stumbled against an iron box beside which in about two feet of water lay my lamp i picked this up first and shook the water from it and laid it on the shelf of the rock wait here a moment i said i shall run back and get a torch for i had left the tin box on the top of the heap of debris when we had scrambled through the hole i was starting back at once when she said after me and in that cave the voice came after me monotonous and hollow like a ghost's take my lamp with you dear how can you find the box or even the way to it in the dark but i can't leave you alone here all in the dark too oh i'm all right she answered gaily i don't mind a bit and besides it will be a new sensation to be here alone with olgareff and the treasure you won't be long will you dear i felt her query almost belied her brave words but i knew that behind the latter lay her pride which i must not offend so i took the lamp she was holding out to me and hurried on in a few minutes i had found the box and brought it back but i could see that even those minutes had been a trying time to marjorie who was deathly white when i came close she clung to me after a second or two she said as she drew herself away looking at me diffidently as though to excuse herself or rather to account for her perturbation the moment you had gone and i was alone in the dark with the treasure all the weird prophesying of gormala came back to me the very darkness itself made light patches and i saw shrouds floating everywhere but it's all right now that you are here light a torch and we shall look at the pope's treasure i took a torch out of the box and lit it 
she laid it so that the lighted end projected well beyond the shelf of rock and gave a fine if fitful light to all around we found water about three feet deep at its worst in the glare of the torch and because of its crystal purity it did not look even so much we stooped down to examine the box which was only one of several lying in front of a great heap of something all dark with rust and age which filled up a whole corner of the cave the hasp was eaten through with rust as well it might be after three centuries in the water and only retained its form this was doubtless due to the stillness of the water for even the shock of my striking the box with my boot had broken it across when i pulled at it it crumbled to pieces in my fingers in the same way the iron of the box itself was rusted right through and as i tried to lift the lid which was annealed by corrosion to the sides of the box it broke in my hands i was able to tear it away like matchwood the contents were not corroded but were blackened by the sea it was all money but whether silver or gold we could not tell and did not stop to see then we opened box after box in the same way and in all but one found coins this took a considerable time but we did not in our excitement note its flying the heap in the corner was composed of great ingots to lift any of which took a distinct effort of strength the one box unfilled with coins contained smaller boxes or caskets which were uncorroded and were we presumed of some superior metal silver or gold they were all locked i lifted one of them and laid it on the shelf of rock whilst i searched for a key it was a difficult matter to find any definite thing whilst stooping in the water so i took my knife and tried with its point to prise open the casket the lock must have been of iron and corroded it gave way instantly under pressure disclosing a glittering heap of stones which even through all the cloudiness of the saline deposit of centuries flashed red lights everywhere rubies cried marjorie who stood close to me clapping her hands oh how lovely darling she added kissing me for her expression of delight had to find a vent on something next i said as i bent to the iron chest to lift out another of the caskets i drew back with a shudder marjorie looking anxiously at my face divined the cause and cried in genuine alarm the tide the tide is rising and is shutting us in end of section thirty five recording by james k white chula vista